Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I got stuck on verse 16 that says, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I can't even begin to comprehend what the fullness of God is, but, and I don't think we're expected to, but I know through the word that we have received it, and it is grace upon grace upon grace and upon grace, for which ought to lead us to a place of deep gratitude and thankfulness that it is the Lord who is at work in saving our souls and not our own. That is His grace afforded toward us that makes us part of His family, welcomed into His kingdom and given a purpose on this planet to serve and to worship Him. From His fullness we've received and that's a good thing. Um, Before I get into the message this morning, I want us to pray for Leon and Luba. Uh, Luba, they're both watching online now. Leon, Luba, they're with uh, Luba's mum, who it would appear is uh, on the cusp of uh, going to be with her heavenly father. Um, Her pulse has dropped to 35, uh, her eyes are glazing over, and she is uh, just constantly repeating, uh, please God, as she kisses Leon's hand. And so she is with uh, Leon and Luba at the moment. Um, and so let's, as a church, let's all, let's all pray together um, that this would be a moment um, of richness in God's presence, a time where they are both reminded of the frailty of life, but the hope that we have in Jesus as well. So Father, as your gathered people this morning, as the family here, we gather around Leon and Luba and the extended uh, family. Father, we know that this is going to be a uh, difficult time for them, full of sadness and full of grief. But yet at the same time, Father, this is a time of celebration and hope as Luba's mum passes from this life to the very beginning of her eternal life with you. But Father, we give you thanks for her faith. We thank you, Lord God, that it has um, impacted generations upon generations that have come from her, even to this church here this morning the faithfulness of Luba's mum through what she has done. We are sitting under the shade of that blessing right now in Jesus' name. And so, Father, we thank you for them. We pray your blessing upon them in this time. And, Father, may Luba's mum just know your nearness and hear the whisper of your voice right now as you bring her home. So, Father, we thank you for her life and we thank you for Leon and Luba. We pray that your kingdom would come in ways that we can't even see through all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to uphold Leon and Luba today and this week in your prayers in any way that you can uh, reach out, I'm sure they'll share the news with us uh, once uh, this has happened. Uh, Two weeks ago, I preached from Ezekiel 47, um, a vision that Ezekiel had been given by God for the purposes of renewing Israel's hope. Uh, Their temple, the place where they had worshipped, the place where they had experienced God, had been destroyed and they were taken dispersed among the nations and without hope. It would seem that just about every promise of God in their lives was all but a lost cause. However, 
the vision that the Lord gave Ezekiel uh, of the temple restored uh, was a temple that came from it, a river of life, deep healing waters flowing from heaven and life to everything it came into contact with. We're going to swap a mic out here. Apparently there's a dead spot in the reception on this stage, which I don't understand, but somehow it's a thing. Um, it is this kind of water that the Lord is calling us to experience in our placement and our dislodgement in a postmodern, post-Christian culture, that there is a flow of God's presence and His grace, and it is for healing, and we are called to dive deep into it and journey through it, hand in hand with the Lord, as He renews all things in the world. No doubt this vision would have lit a flame in the hearts uh, of, the, of God's people as they peered behind the curtain of what was to come. And in the same way, I sense the same kind of expectation and hope arising among this family that as we peer beyond our current circumstances, that we have hope in a present and eternal God who is working among us to fulfill his eternal purposes. Last week, I spoke out of 2 Timothy 3, where Paul uh, gives the lay of the land in terms of what expect of a culture that has lost its way, a culture in which the presence of God is not the reigning factor. And it turns out that as we read through Paul's assessment, it's like looking at the mirror today, that we are in days where godlessness is rife. And it's off the back of this report card of lostness and despair um, that is the well-known verse of all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for reproofing, and for training in righteousness. Now, it seems quite clear that Paul's antidote to succumbing to the prevailing winds of godless culture is in the sacred texts of old, the Word of God. It has everything we need to prevail and to know God. And I am convinced that as we go deep in the Word, as God reveals to Himself afresh in it, we will become filled with awe and wonder and will increasingly find ourselves surrendering our lives at the cross of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Even this morning, as people have shared what the Lord has spoken to them about, I am convinced that as a church we open God's Word together, that He will do mighty things. Rocky sat in church last week. He didn't want to miss me being in the boat. And um, he said when we got home, Dad, I'm going to do the John thing. I'm going to read it. And that night, Sunday night, he said, I'm just going to read the whole 21 chapters. I said, ease up. He's up, donkey. We've got a whole, you know, seven weeks of this. You don't have to do it all in one go. Just go and do one to three and get out a, get out a pen and paper and write some things down. And he did that. And we're going to throw, I asked his permission to do this, by the way. Um, this is this is his uh, journal, and he made some notes. You know, the Word was always there with God, and John prepared the way for some quite factual um, things. You know, he's, he's all over that. But then I noticed that on the right-hand side, there was a black box um, that just says, and this is from a 10-year-old um, who's just, just been spoken to by Holy Spirit through the Word, always be prepared for the Lord with an open heart. I mean, nowhere on the page in John chapter 1, 2, or 3 does it say that. There is only something that the Holy Spirit can do when we open the all-powerful, God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God to do that kind of thing in a 10-year-old. 
And I believe that as we continue as a church to soak ourselves and immerse ourselves in God's Word, there is going to be revelation upon revelation of His goodness and His grace as it is spoken by all of us and not just by me. So I do apologize that I set the bar high last week by preaching out of a boat and I haven't got any such kind of theater um, today, Um, but maybe one day I'll abseil in from the roof. That was a maybe, don't hold me to that. So today I'm uh, excited to bring our third uh, part of where I believe and how I believe God is calling us into the deep this year. I love a good metaphor. In fact, every time I come up with a new metaphor, it makes me sneeze. They really set off my analogies. What did Jedi Knights say to encourage analogies? Metaphors be with you. (laughs) You like that one? (laughs) They're a good metaphor. It helps take a complex or an abstract idea or concept, and it makes it easily understood using relatable imagery. I mean, if someone had never seen the sun before and they were to say, what's the sun like? And if we were to say, um, the sun is a ball of fire in the sky. Uh, I mean, we know that it is more than that. The complexity of all of the chemical reactions and all of what happens in the sun to make it go is more than just someone, God lighting a couple of twigs and throwing on something and we've got a fire that lets off heat and light. But Um, That's the power of a metaphor, something so ridiculously complex, but using a ball of fire to describe it. Uh, If I was in a conversation about Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, um, I would be a fish out of water. I'm, I'm not actually a fish, and I don't actually live in water, but that very simple metaphor lets you know that in that conversation, I am as good as dead. (laughs) completely out of my realm. If you listened in last week, I used a lot of metaphor for the Word of God. The Word of God is an anchor. The Word of God is a light. The Word of God is a fishing rod. The Word of God is a fish finder. The Word of God is a GPS. A bad metaphor is like a cucumber with a parachute. I know, useless, right? It does nothing for your life. Now, the Bible is loaded with metaphors to communicate truth. The kingdom of God is like a lost coin. It is a, like a lost son. It is uh, like a mustard seed, like a, a field. It is, and we get all of the rich biblical imagery to describe to us what God and his kingdom is like. I mean, in much more exciting ways in Song of Songs. Chapter 4, verse 2. I've been hearing this a lot lately. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Song of Songs, chapter 4, 11. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. I am going to stop before your engines get revving. (laughs) See, biblical metaphors allow us to understand more clearly the mysteries of God. 
They stir within the mind to understand the complexity of God and his kingdom by comparing them to familiar, concrete, tangible realities that to us make sense of the complex and we are able to discover the truth that is hidden within them. And so today I'm going to speak to the topic being called Deeper into Community. And when I use the word community here, I am not speaking of a social club or a gym kind of community, not that either of them are bad nor are not an expression of community, but when I say community today, I mean the church, the people of God, the gathered saints of Jesus, you and I here. What does it mean for us to be called deeper into being the church? I mean, a few questions arise here. What is the church? What is the church meant to do? I mean, what are unique characteristics that characterize this thing that we call and attend and are a part of church? And what does it mean practically for you and I to be part of a church? Big questions. I mean, luckily for us, the Bible is chock-a-block of our literary delights called metaphors to help us answer these questions. And so today, I want to take some time to look at four metaphors that are found in the New Testament, and I want to explore their meaning and their significance, while at the same time, I want to draw for them what it means for us to be found within these metaphors and the practical applications that we can take away. If the last two weeks uh, for me have been communicating vision around um, us as a church, um, today is more about who we are becoming as we go along that road. These are things that we are looking at from God's Word that speak to who we are to become. Um, And may I say, who we already are. God is and has done incredible things to shape us over the years, and some of this is deep encouragement to say, keep going, church. We are on our way. And so we're going to read the word together, and I'm going to uh, read a, bit, a, chunk, a few chunks of Scripture um, together. So, if, Adam, you're on the clicker up there. Uh, we're going to start in Ephesians. We'll finish in Ephesians, but we're going to dive through Revelation and Corinthians on the way through. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. One Corinthians twelve verse twelve to thirty. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, it is with Christ as so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to this body, that would make, uh, not make any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would its sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Ephesians 2, 18 to 22, for him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6.16 What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the, living temp we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Within all of that, there are four incredibly vivid, beautiful, meaningful, deep, expansive metaphors that describe what the church is, who God is calling us to be as his people. Firstly, the bride. I mean, weddings are a wonderful moment. I mean, from all angles, they are laced with beauty and with love and commitment and with honor and with blessing and with hope and this sense of dynamic energy. Now, Elise and I are in our 15th year of marriage, and it all began right here on this bit of carpet as we say, said our I do's. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the process of even getting prepared for the wedding. It was quite arduous, to be honest, as you've probably experienced if you've been involved in a wedding before. It's like a military-style operation. We've got to have hair done at this time. We've got to have our shave at this time. We've got to have the makeup done here. And we've got to have the photographer and the cars here at this time. Uh, and it just becomes this incredible process of preparation. But it was all worth it, right? I mean, when I saw Elise get out of her dad's Monaro, it's got an original 1978 Monaro. Unbe 
Ruth's shaking her head going, I don't even know what that is. Um, it is a spectacular piece of uh, art. And um, I, I did have to look past it to see Elise, um, <clears throat> which I'm sure if Elise's dad is listening, he'll appreciate. But when I saw Elise walk through these doors with Eva Cassidy's songbird filling the air, my heart beat to the rhythm of love. There was nothing else on earth, no beach, no boat, no fishing tackle, no perfect wave, no sunset, no sunrise that I would prefer to be looking at in that very moment. I had that bite the bottom lip. I'm just so overwhelmed with how gorgeous you are right now and I get to marry you. I couldn't fix my eyes anywhere else but on her beauty. And as the, is this really happening, vibes began to grow, um, they became feelings of delight. You know, as, as she inched closer, and if, you, if you've been a groom in this moment, as your bride inches closer and closer towards you, you just can't wipe the smile of delight off your face. You find out on your wedding day that there are muscles in your cheeks that you didn't actually know existed before. You know, in that moment, my delight, the entirety of my delight was nowhere else but in her. My joy was nowhere else. My attention and my affection were nowhere else. I took her hand and we worshipped together and we made promises together and we gave rings as symbols of our love and we kissed and we danced and we laughed and my delight was brimming over. And then we partied, we celebrated, we ate, we drank fine wine, we popped champagne, Elise danced and had a great time. I did dance once, I'll give you that. I did do the marital dance, waltzy thingy, uh, led by Elise. (laughs) And then at about midnight, I turned to her and I said, your lips drink, drip nectar, my bride. <laughs> Honey and milk are under your tongue. <laughs> We're going to leave that right there. I mean, kind of weirdly yet also wonderfully, we are the bride of Christ. And then we get this metaphor uh, of the body. You know, we go from, right, well, the church is a, a, a bride to the church is a, a body. And the, the body, um, which I'm sure you are well aware, is an interesting creation. It does some wonderfully mighty and strange things. It's both beautiful, yet at the same time, it's quite unsightly. <laughs> it can smell fresh and it can smell pretty rank. It is easily hurt, but it heals pretty quickly. It is made up of many systems, the circulatory system, the digestive system, the muscular system, the nervous system, the exocrine system, the endocrine system, the reproductive, the renal, the respiratory, the skeletal system. Our bodies are made up of an enormous amount of complex systems that all work together to make the body work properly. 
I mean, the body can become healthier under the right conditions in the same way as it become unhealthy, toxic even, if it's given to neglect. It can be trained and conditioned to improve or perform. In my experience, under normal circumstances, the body generally stays connected. Hands don't just fall off. Uh, Arms don't just go missing. Uh, Legs don't get left behind. Generally speaking, unless there's some kind of tragedy involved, the body stays connected. I mean, everything has a function, like all of it, even the little toe. Sometimes I think, what are you doing there? But we wouldn't actually be able to walk, run, stand, even with any kind of balance if it wasn't for that insignificant little fella. I mean, it can be ex- experienced deep pleasure, but also excruciating pain. The strongest muscle in the body is called the masseter. It is in the, the jaw muscle. And at your molars, it can clamp down with 90 kilograms of force. Yet the weakest muscle, called the stapedius muscle, is in your middle ear and measures an enormous one millimetre long. This kind of connects a little stirrup inside your inner ear. Even it, as it transfers sound and creates vibrations and creates what we are able to hear, that little one millimetre insignificant little muscle in the middle of that thing is allowing you right now to hear the sound of my voice. I mean, both the big one and the little one, the one that is really effective uh, visually and experientially that we can see, but the little one we can't, both serve different functions and both have different capabilities. One is weak and vulnerable, the other is strong and resilient, yet neither announce to themselves either their strength or their weakness. They simply do what they were created to do without whinging, complaining or comparing, despite their differences both the masseter and the stapedius are equal. And of course, without the head, we are dead. And so with all of its funkiness and its functionality, uh, for some reason, uh, we are given this metaphor of the body. We as the church are the all-in-one funkiness of the body and also the functionality of the body and somewhere in that metaphor is you and I. As we read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 19, we learnt that we are family. Ephesians 2, 19 says that no longer, we are no longer strangers or aliens but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I mean, household in ancient Greek is the word oikos, and oikos refers to three related but very distinct concepts the family, the family's property, and the house. Oikos or household referred to men, women, children, uh, people who would be adopted into that family, slaves, and even pets. In the oikos, in the household, or in the The family, men had specific roles in leading their households, dealing with public affairs, looking after business and financial matters. Women were traditionally the support network um, behind the whole operation, uh, making lunches, ordering school lunch orders, 
uh, packing school bags, organizing play dates, preparing dinner, heading to the shops for bread, milk, and daily supplies. Children were learners, observers, onlookers to the activity of the adults, and they learnt the trade or skills unique to their oikos, to their household. The kids would watch intently as their father and as their mother went about their business, and they learnt so that they could then take on the roles of operations and functioning of, and care of the household. In the household, the family, traditionally the sons, would inherit the, state, the estate of the father after death, or if the dad so chose, um, he could give away his inheritance to their kids while he was still alive. In ancient Greek culture, if there were no males born into the household or into the family, adoption was permissible for a man as a way to continue his family name, to continue the family line. And three types of adoption would occur if the man was still alive, or if it was in his will, or if the man died without a male heir or an adopted son, he could have one assigned to carry on his name and the family estate. An adopted son was no longer part of his original oikos from which he came. An adopted son, an adopted child, was fully integrated and became part of this new family. And Jesus spent a lot of time in people's oikoses, in people's families, in people's households. He went from household to household. He healed people in the household. He ate with people in the household. He had perfume poured all over his feet in a household. He taught the word of God and spoke of the kingdom in households. In Acts, we see entire households coming to salvation, faith in Jesus in a household. I mean, perhaps one of the most intriguing and familiar stories involving an oikos is where one son, uh, before his time uh, was due to ask for the inheritance and went to the father. And he said, Father, can I have what is mine when, I'm, when you're meant to be dead? And the father, well, within his rights, said, yeah, sure, no dramas. But this son, he went and took it and he partied and he lived the high life and he indulged himself. He went and spent it all on a Kentucky tour going around Europe And the son found himself up to his armpits, armpits in pig turd and realised how much he'd blown by leaving his father's household. And as people privy to the end of the story, we know how it goes. He was welcomed home with open arms. He was embraced, not judged. He was celebrated, not punished. He was honoured and not shamed. He was welcomed back into the family. You know, households are a place where family happens, where belonging is experienced, where healing occurs, where kids are trained, where God is worshipped, where the word is taught, where generations are propagated and inheritances are passed on. A place where identities are formed, purpose is discovered, and where the wandering soul is always welcome home. So for some reason, in the midst of the complex and the messiness of what a family unit is, for some reason, we are called the family of God. And we're his bride. We're his body. We're his family. Also, in the Ephesians chapter 2 text that we read, we found out that not only are we his family, but we are also his temple. 
Now, I'm going to give you a one-page temple theology. Are you ready? This is really difficult, by the way, to get into a very small amount of words to find the significance of what this means for us as God's temple. God's mission since the beginning of time has been to fill the world with his presence. The most central truth to the creation account is that this world, the created world, is a place created for God to dwell. And as we understand it, the place where God dwelt in the Old Testament was the temple. And so through that lens, the Garden of Eden was the very first temple and Adam and Eve were the very first priests. It was their role to protect the sanctity of the temple from things that are unclean and to ensure that the temple would flourish. And some argue the fact that there was a snake in the garden in the first place hints at a dereliction of their priestly duties that was already possibly at play before the snake even asked them to eat the fruit. It was their job to partner with God to ensure that the world flourished. But through a combination, and Mark Sayers says it this way, through a combination of negligence, disobedience, impatience, and discontent with God's rule, lack of trust and rebellion, Adam and Eve chose their human-powered vision of progress. That is, that's today, right? That's the culture we live in. That is where we're at, living under a human-powered vision of progress. In doing so, they risk it all in a quest to discover a divine presence within themselves. Cast out of God's presence, they find nothing, only the bitter taste of bitter fruit. Priests were to guard the holy spaces against those who are unclean, and now Adam and Eve themselves are unclean, unable to enter the sacred place of Eden, the dwelling place of God's presence. Their constant companion was no longer God's presence, but instead shame, anxiety, and isolation. From then on, humanity's connection with God was mediated through temples made by hands and through making sacrifices to appease the wrath of God for their sin. Until Jesus. Jesus was the very, as we know it, the very presence of God on earth, the place where heaven and earth intersect. And through him, the presence of God would spread into the world. Jesus was the new temple. What was Eden and then what became things built by stone and crafted by human hands, now we see is in the person of Jesus until he died. And God's mission to flood the world with his presence looked like a lost cause because that temple was gone. A lost cause, or so it seemed. But Jesus would die to again open access to the presence. Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden had reversed their mandate to fill the world with God's presence, instead filling it with flesh, disobedience, death, and sin. But on the cross, Jesus' Jesus' death defeats these blockages to God's renewal of the world. His death, the final sacrifice, means that those who follow him must no longer approach the presence through mediated forms of temple worship and sacrifice. And so the disciples, they would have been at a loss, wondering how do we connect and interact and interface with God now that the presence is gone? And they're sent out from Jerusalem, God's temple city, and in a few short years, the temple itself would fall, 
And just as Jesus predicted, destroyed by the Romans, now the people of God will become a living temple, filled with the presence. And this is us, each of them a mini temple, filled with his spirit, who through living in his presence, spread his presence throughout the world. Paul passionately reminds the church in Corinth that they are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in their midst. Peter describes the church as human stones, a new kind of temple not constructed with stone, but with human lives, which are being built into a spiritual house. And so we have a bride and we have a body and we have a family and then we have a temple for hugely enormous in their own right metaphors that we could give to uh, an entire month on their own. But this morning I want to look at some practical applications of what does it mean for us to be a bride, a body, a family and a temple. Because as the church, this is who we are, as well as a flock and as well as a priesthood and as well as a vine connected to the branches. There are so many, but for the purposes of today, these four, what does it mean for us to be a bride, a body, a family, and a temple? As the bride, we are preparing ourselves for the coming king. We've sung about it this morning. The church is not in its final form on this earth. Our role as his bride is to ready ourselves for something more. As the bride, we will posture ourselves in anticipation for the future of our coming king. And until he comes, we will sing his praises aloud, when we're allowed to. We will pray for the suffering. We will serve the poor. We will give to the needy. And we will share the gospel with the world. Regardless of what form the bride takes, we will gather with expectancy and hope that he is near. Every time that we find ourselves, whether it be in a life group, meeting with someone one-on-one to read the Bible together, whether it is walking into this very building, we do so with a sense of expectation that he is coming, that he is so very near. As his bride, we are people who are washed by the word. As in Ephesians 5.25, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I mean, this Bible reading project that we're undertaking together isn't just a tick a box kind of thing. That I am in full belief that we are being washed. That we are being prepared by Jesus As we dive deep into his scriptures, we are being cleansed. And I am deeply excited because this act of reading the word together is our preparation of being cleansed as the church, as the water of the word prepares and cleanses the bride. Can I encourage you, get on board. Together, reading and being cleansed and prepared in the word of God. As his bride, we are people who are made holy by Jesus. 
We aren't made holy by our attempts at perfection. We aren't made holy by the amount of money we part with in our tithes. We aren't made holy by the amount of teams that we serve on. We aren't made holy by the, uh, the regularity of being in church. We aren't made holy by how many times we pray. We aren't made holy by how many chapters of the Bible that we read. It is only the sufficient work of Jesus on the cross that makes us holy. The gospel we preach is not one of behavior modification, but of life transformation as the King of Kings renews our hearts and our minds. That is only Jesus that makes us holy, not because we behave well. As the bride, we are people who are delighted in And I think if this one truth could capture our hearts, I believe that we would see revival in the church. That's a big statement. But if we were to understand the dynamic of Jesus being the groom, awaiting his bride, and when she walks into the room, when she gathers together, when she is washed by the word when she is made holy by Jesus and as she comes before his very presence. There is no greater affection that he has than for his bride. Isaiah 62 verse 3 to 5 says, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you, and the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That changes things in my opinion. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I mean, it is a wonderful thing to be in a church who delight in being in God's presence. A wonderful thing that we actually yearn for the day we can sing his praise aloud again but even more wonderful to know that there is a God in our midst right here, right among us, sitting within your seats and around and upon and within your hearts, who this morning has nothing but pure delight that you are here and that you are his. That ought to inspire us to be worshippers of the King of Kings, that he this morning delights in you. Wonderful. As the body, what does it mean for us to be the body? It means that we hold in tension both beauty and brokenness. That in the same ways our bodies are strong and frail, resilient and vulnerable, wonderful and weary, beautiful and broken, so too God's church here on earth, it is the same. Mistakes are made, decisions aren't perfect, The perfect appeasement of everybody's needs, wants, desires are impossible. Frustrations happen. Disagreements happen. 
but we must have grace for the mess. When there's tension in the system, it's often not that there's a sign that something wrong. It's a reminder that we're a body made up of imperfect people. Having grace for all of the parts is our calling. Regardless of how broken you are, this body won't reject you or anyone you bring along. That we are to be, as we go, a church who has grace for the mess. As the body, we're reminded and we're told through the metaphor that we are all equals, that God arranged the body so there would be no division. I want to remind you this morning that no one or no gift is greater than the other. Some are more visible and others are less so, but visibility should never be our measure of value. Faithfulness is. That just because you can see somebody's gift up there, worship leading or preaching or singing or leading a kid's ministry, and we look at that gifting and we go, how gifted are they? Visibility should never be a measure of effectiveness, but faithfulness is. Being faithful with what you have been given without comparing it to others is the only way that the body can function healthily. Find what you're here for and do that thing. That would be my encouragement to you. As your part in the body of Christ, find your part and do it. A whole lot easier said than done, by the way. And as your leader, I don't value your perfection, I value your contribution. And I think that is the Father's heart. That as we come in the messiness of body, the body, that God doesn't expect your perfection. I think he just loves our contribution. So I would say to you, don't hold back because you don't feel you can do something as good as someone else. Comparison will kill your calling. You might be thinking that's great for everyone else who has a calling, but the truth that Paul tells it is that we all have a part to play. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the foot can't say to the elbow, you're useless. There is a role and a function that you have to play in the body of Christ. Are you aware of yours? And what are you going to do about it? As the body, we all have a responsibility for the health of the body. It says the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. We, as we go, will be and are and have been a church who care. That when you are up to your eyeballs wading through the proverbial poo soup of life, that there is a body of people who gather around and they deploy their resources to pray and to support you in any way you can. And as the body, finally, we proclaim Jesus as the head of the church, his body, and we orient our lives and our church accordingly. Ephesians 1, 21 and 22 says that God placed Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and he is in all things. 
and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. Now we understand that it is on Peter's confession in Matthew chapter 16 of who the Son is that Jesus says, on that rock I will build my church. That as his body we take our cues from him, he is our leader, he is our shepherd, he is our master, he is our king, and he is our Lord. As God's family, 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That is who we are, children of God. What does it mean to be part of God's family? We all have a role and a function to contribute. This is on repeat through all of the metaphors, so it needs no extra comment. As the family, we live as children of inheritance. We have been adopted as God's children into his family and his kids. We are given the keys to his kingdom. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. You know, we might not get the fancy car or the waterfront in our kingdom inheritance, but the will that we're written into is much richer than that. As His kids, salvation is ours. Eternity in his presence is ours. A forever family is ours. Ultimate and permanent healing is ours. Complete joy is ours. Life in the new creation and to enjoy it in all of its abundance is ours. As his kids, all the loot of heaven is ours. That's exciting. As his family, we are a place of belonging. As his family, we are a place of healing. As a family, this is a place where kids and young people are trained. In this household, God is worshipped. The word is taught. Generations are nurtured. In this house, identities are formed. Purpose is discovered. And where the wandering soul is always welcome home. And lastly, the temple. What does it mean for us to be the temple? It means two things. One, We are the spreaders of his presence. We are God's plan to fill the world with his presence through being his living priesthood of humans who give their lives over to becoming temples filled with his spirit and who move out into the world. As we center ourselves on God's word, as we center ourselves on the revelation given to us, as the spirit is present among us, guiding us, empowering us and leading us, we will keep moving forward with purpose of filling our workplaces, our sports teams, our clubs, our schools and our social networks with his presence. Secondly, as his temple, we are bringers of renewal. You know, the spirit of all renewals is the spirit of Jesus. In every true renewal, both individual and corporate, Jesus is lifted up. Jesus is central. He inspires and animates growth, healing, regeneration, and the new temple himself. He is on a mission to renew our temples, our places of worship, our families, our hearts, our minds, and all of life's systems. We are a church who partner to renew the world around us through God's presence. What a mission. What a wonderful mission. 
And next week, I'm going to speak to being called deeper into mission and discipleship. And it must be grounded out of this revelation that what the temples of days gone by could not achieve, the Lord is using your broken body, heart, spirit to be about the one who spreads his presence to our world and brings about the renewal that he is so desperate to see. That is the mission we're called into, being bringers of the presence. And whether that means in school for you kids or whether that means in your workplaces or that means down the street doing the shoppings, at the checkouts, at the servo, wherever you may find yourself, that where you go, he is. And that will change the world. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I want us all to stand. And from each of these four, I have some we are statements of what it means for us to be a body, to be a bride, to be a family, and to be a temple. So as these things, we are an expectant church. We are a church washed by the word. We are made holy by Jesus and Jesus alone. We are delighted in, we are joy-filled, and we want to know him more and more. We are grace-filled. We are a team. We are led by Jesus. We live in the inheritance of heaven. We are a place of belonging, a place of safety. We are a place of healing. We are a place of training and equipping. We are a place of contribution. We are a place of welcome. We are the spreaders of the presence and we are partners in renewal. We are His bride, His body, His family and His temple. This is a church living in the deep. Father, we thank you so much that you would look upon us with favour in your eyes, that you would send Jesus to die in our place, that you could call us your own. And Father, we thank you that you go beyond that and you place us in a family, your church. You place us among people who are in pursuit of you people who are trying to work out this thing called faith along the way of life. People who are working out what it means to be a bride and a body and a temple and a family. So Father, with deep gratitude in my heart, I thank you for this expression of bride, of body, of temple and of family. And I pray your blessing upon us as we go deeper as we are about all of these things. May we see your kingdom come more fully in our day, like it is in heaven, right here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.